The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Turn in your copy of God's Word now to Mark 4, 35. We're continuing our journey through Mark's Gospel, answering the question, who is this man? And remember, Mark organizes his account of Jesus' life, not necessarily chronologically. He doesn't record the events that he records, uh, in, in like w- that one event happens right after another, that this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. There's a chronological feel to it, but that's not necessarily what guides the organization of the events that he records. Remember, his emphasis is on impact. And so he has a message, he has a message with a point for his readers. He, he wants to present Jesus to us as those who are reading this, so we answer the question like those who encountered him, who is this man? Who is this man? And so we're, we're coming off of, of an organization or a section of four parables, four parables that taught us about spiritual growth, of how we grow in the Lord. And now, as we transition here in Mark 4, 35, he, he includes for us Jesus' authority over four forces, four unstoppable forces uh, among humanity that, uh, uh, that we uh, really have no control over. The first, as we see today, is his Jesus' authority over weather. And then in chapter five, we'll get into Jesus' authority over demons, over diseases, and over death. And these four things, since the beginning of time, have been really almost unstoppable forces amongst us. And we can try as we might, make technological advances in science and medicine, And yet these forces (laughs) derail our plans. They can destroy us, they can hurt us. But beloved, these are not unstoppable forces to Christ, are they? And so today, and in chapter five, we are going to see Jesus' authority over it. And so let's read now, look at Mark four, verse 35 to 41, and let's see the storm stopper in action. You ready? Let's look at it here. Mark 4, 35, follow along as I read now. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. This is God's word for God's people. See, the parables that we looked at in the last several weeks taught us about spiritual growth. And today, this, we, we see Jesus' power over these storms and these two truths, this, this central message really comes together to teach us this core truth, that storms 
are part of the process of spiritual growth. Storms are part of the process of spiritual growth. And understanding this core truth, looking, looking closer at our verses, we, we could really say as we, as we look closer at them, we could use, title this message, How to Have Faith Through Storms. Knowing that storms are a part of life. They are a reality of our human existence. And so how do we have faith through storms? Well, the first few verses teach us that we should go with Jesus into the storm. Go with Jesus into the storm. Look at verses 35 and 37 with me. You see, it, says, it begins by saying, on that day when evening came. Now that's a, that's a really interesting marker because uh, we need to go back really into chapter three, verse 20, and, and you can get the picture of Jesus' day. This has been one long day of ministry. Beginning back all the way, if you just scan, maybe you have to turn your Bible over to chapter three, verse 20, and just scan through it there. It begins, he goes home, and who bombards the house? A whole crowd of people. He's there at, the, at, his, at his family, and er, he's there at this house, and, and then he gets word that his family thinks he's crazy. And then from there, he's, he's uh, confronted by the Pharisees who question his authority, who say that he actually has a demon. And he teaches there on the unforgivable sin, and then his family's looking for him again, and they think he's crazy. And so the crowds are continuing to press upon him, and so what does he do? He leaves the house, and he goes into the boat. And from there on the boat, as you see in, in the beginning of chapter four, he's, he's, he then begins to teach these parables because the crowds are just pressing it upon him. And so to escape it and to teach the crowds, he teaches the parables uh, from the boat. And so now this long day has been upon him and it's night. And so he's back in the, he's in the boat just as he was, it says, and he takes its leave. He says, all right, disciples, we gone. It's been a long day it's time to call it a day. And now they're in the boat and he has really an appointment to keep. As you think in the grand scheme of things, he has an appointment to keep at the beginning of chapter five across the sea in the country of the Gerasenes. Uh, he has an appointment the next morning with a man there. And so he leads the charge. He's in the boat. Look, it says that there are others too. These small wooden fishing boats that they would have had, you know, usually could fit about five to seven people. And so even if it's just as close disciples, there may have been others. But now there's this little uh, contingent of boats that are making their way across the Sea of Galilee over to this area of the Gerasenes. And, uh, and they are going along and what hits? A great, look at verse 37, a great windstorm arose. There's really, it's, it, great doesn't necessarily have the same thrust that it does, that like in, in the original language here that it has, this is like hurricane force winds come. You know, we're just like, oh, great windstorm. You know, thinking of like a few weeks ago, you know, we got those winds. Did anybody else like lose some trees or fences? Two weeks ago, we had some high winds and my house, we lost a, a tree in our backyard because there was a, a great windstorm. But it wasn't necessarily like Hurricane Harvey, great windstorms here, but this is massive. Imagine them being in this small little wooden boat out on the sea. And maybe you've heard this before, I don't know, but maybe this is news to you, but the Sea of Galilee is known for its sudden violent storms. It's just known for this. It's the perfect storm, so to speak, in this area. The Sea of Galilee is about 690 feet below sea level. It's the lowest freshwater lake on the planet. And surrounding this small lake, it's not very big, it's only about 13 feet by, or 13 miles by seven miles, 13 feet, that's like a little like stream. <laughs> 
13 miles by seven miles. The, the Jordan River, which is actually really small, it's, it's more of a creek that flows, is what, uh, flows in and out of it, but it's, it's super low and surrounding it are these massive cliffs. And so you get this warm air rising up off the sea and these uh, cool gusts coming from like the Mediterranean through like whipping through these, these canyons uh, through, the, 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 uh, through the, the, the hills across the Sea of Galilee. And if you have taken any sort of like weather science or anything like that, you know that when like warm air rises and hits the cool air, bad things happen. And so these sudden violent storms just can come out of nowhere. And this is 2,000 years ago. They don't have, you know, like the great weathermen that we have today that, you know, forecast weather 100% of the time and know. Uh, uh, <laughs> Sometimes it might be better to be back in these days and just take life as, as it comes and take the weather as we, as we go, right? But it, it, it creates these sudden violent storms. And so imagine being in this small wooden boat, storms rising, the, the front or the bow of the boat dipping underneath and scooping up water like a bucket, taking on water in, in unbelievable quickness. But isn't it like storms that just always seem to catch us on the longest of days, don't they? It's not just the fact that the storm has come, but it's, it's, it's at night, after a long day. Isn't that like in our own life, isn't that how things come? We wake up late, we rush out the door to work, and then we have this thing with our coworkers, and then we get a call for something happened from our kids, and then there's conflict, and you and your spouse just, it, 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 and everything just kind of like piles up, and then you finally get home, and you're like, man, now I can finally rest, and you know, and then there's the bill in the mail or something, or you get that phone call. Storms always seem to catch us on the longest of days, don't they? But beloved, who led the disciples into the sea? Who said, come, let us go across to the other side? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who knew the storm was coming. He wasn't unaware of it, but he led them right into the midst of the storm. The same is true in your life. Jesus knows the storms. He knows the circumstances of your life, and if he has called you to it, he will lead you through it. He hasn't called us into anything that, to just leave us and abandon us. The difficult things in your life, the so-called storms, go with Jesus into them because he has not abandoned us. He is the one that led them straight into it, and so we can have great hope and peace knowing that we are following Christ right into the midst of our life. If we are walking with him, he has not led us there to abandon us. Beloved, how do we have faith through storms? Well, we go with Jesus into them, but also, let's continue into verse 38, we give control to Jesus. So don't you love this? Here's the great irony, right? You get to verse 38 and you see that transition, that, that but there, this storm is piling around them, and what is Jesus doing? He's snoring away. We see a prime example of Jesus' humanity on display here. He was limited by uh, physical exhaustion. 
a long day of teaching and conflict and on a boat, he is wiped out. And you really have to be utterly exhausted, don't you? To be sleeping in the back of the boat on a hard wooden plank, at least Mark records that he had a cushion for his head. I love that, I love the little details that Mark puts in here. You know it's an eyewitness account when he's like, yeah, Jesus is back on the boat and he had a cushion and he's sleeping, water's pouring in, people are screaming and Jesus is just knocked out. He is so exhausted and so, but they're sleeping. And you know what's really interesting about all this too is that the disciples, the majority of them were fishermen. We get that from early. The disciples were fishermen, and so they knew the power of these storms. This wasn't like the first time something like this has likely come upon them, or they've heard stories or had friends that had you know, been lost at sea because of these storms. And so it's not as though their panic is irrational. They know what they're in the midst of. And yet Jesus is just here asleep and they forget his care. They forget all the times that he has demonstrated his deity, where he has proven that he is God, as he has uh, cast out demons and he has healed the multitudes of all kinds of diseases, that he has silenced the Pharisees, that he has corrected false teaching. In the midst of his panic, they just forget. And they think that in their occupational uh, wisdom, and their professional insight into this, they think that they are experts. So too, we, we think we're experts oftentimes in our panic, don't we? Something's happening at work and we're just like, Jesus, what, like, what are you doing? Are you sleeping over here? And it's not always irrational. We just forget the care and the power and the authority that Christ has already demonstrated in our life, let alone the thousands, even millions of people that have gone before us. So they rebuke him. Do you see that? They, we see now Jesus' deity on display, don't we? I love this. This is what theologians call the hypostatic union. You ready for that big word? The hypostatic union, that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. He's not like half and half. He's not like sometimes one and sometimes the other. No, he is completely God and completely man here in this one being. And so they go, look at look here, in verse uh, uh, 38 at the end, they go and they, they, they rebuke Jesus. I love this little, this, this phrase, they don't understand who he is. They're like, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? If they, if they were understanding, they would have said, Lord. Lord, do you do something about this? And so what does Jesus do? They rebuke him, he wakes up, and he rebukes the wind. So like, peace be still, it's literally be muzzled. Like a, like a dog, be muzzled, silence. And, and the raging seas turn to glassy stillness in an instant. In the same sudden violence that the storm came upon them, now in the same sudden instant, the sea is glassy still. See, Jesus' power over nature over this storm proves his sovereign power over the entire universe. Remember, storms are an unstoppable force. How can we, we can't stop tornadoes, we can only avoid them. We can't stop the rain from coming, we can only cover ourselves. But here Jesus has power over this storm. He has complete control, complete control. 
But see, the problem is sometimes in, in our own life when we are, find ourselves in the midst of a storm, when we find ourselves in, in the midst of a situation that we can't control, we do all kinds of things to fearfully try to control the situation ourselves. Instead of responding to the Lord in our, in our irrational uh, uh, fears, or even sometimes in our rational fear, we, tr- we, we try to take control of the situation really one, between one of two ways. We either try to dominate the situation or we try to isolate ourselves from the situation. We try to take control of things that really aren't, isn't our uh, job to take control of. Instead of responding to the Lord in faith and giving control to him, we, we, we try to, uh, to, to control the situation. We try to dominate the, the things and then, and then we go to all sorts of other lengths because we find ourselves out of control and it leads to fear and panic. Then we, then we go and take uh, advantage and try to dominate others that are weaker than us. Husbands out of fear, uh, uh, control and their wives. Ladies, moms do this with their kids. Things are out of control, they're not great. And so what, what can they control? They can somewhat control their kids. Not mine, but uh, well, <laughs> we try. People do this with, with animals, right? We're animal cruelty and things because uh, everything else is out of control here and so we try to dominate something that, that is weaker than us that we can control out of, out of fear. In other ways, we, it's not, uh, we try to fearfully control situations, not just through dominating something, but through isolating. We run away, we hide. It's like, ah, I don't wanna be a part of this, it's too hard. Uh, I, wanna, I, I, I just wanna avoid the storm. I wanna avoid the difficulty, and so I'm, I'm just gonna withdraw. I'm withdraw from that relationship. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna quit this job. I'm, 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 I'm just gonna go and run away and hide. Out of fear. Out of fear that, that God it's not meeting my expectation. But instead, beloved, what are we to do in the midst of the storms? We're to give control to the Lord. And sometimes that, that, that sounds all well and good, doesn't it? It's like, how do we do that here? How do we give control? The, the disciples, they, they, they cry out to the Lord. They're, they're rebuking him. He, he shows up and, and, and then he calms the storm here. Well, in faith, we can give control to Christ. And so how do we do that? Interestingly enough, Psalm 107, I think, gives us some insight into this. Turn there with me, if you will. Psalm 107 is a very interesting parallel passage. Psalms are probably in the middle of your Bible, if you're turning there. Psalm 107, if you just kind of crack your Bible at the middle, you'll get to it. But I want us to see these few verses. Psalm 107, and beginning in verse 23, is a very interesting, like I said, parallel to the events of our passage here. Let me read it for you. Psalm 107, verse 23, says this. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. Like, just pause right there. How can, how, how can you be out at sea and see the power of the oceans and not believe that God is at work? That God just exists. Like, the, this stuff doesn't just happen out of nowhere. You see the mighty hand of God, particularly when you are out at sea. But look at this. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. That's like a picture, right? Those, those are mighty waves. Up to the heavens, 
He's using some imagery here. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Is that how often, like if we find ourselves in the midst of a storm, if you find yourself out at sea, if you were one of the disciples, it likely felt like that. But look at verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad and the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. You wanna give control to the Lord? Here's how we do it. In the midst of your storm, you cry out to the Lord. You cry out to the Lord in desperation. God, I can't do this. The waves are too much for me. We cry out, we, we thank him in the midst of it. Look at that, isn't that like a counterintuitive thing? Thank the Lord for his steadfast love. The steadfast love that brought us into it, that keeps us through it and leads us out of it. For his, we, we thank the Lord, and then look, verse 32, we worship the Lord. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. So you wanna give control to the Lord? Well, one, as you cry out to him, say, God, I need this. I need you to come through in this situation. We don't try to control it. We don't try to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to manipulate the situation. We cry out, and then we thank him begins in our own heart. See, God is not so much interested in changing our circumstances as he is about changing our hearts. He wants us to be dependent. He wants us to be grateful. He wants us to be worshipful. You give control to the Lord, this may seem like so counterintuitive, but you give control to Christ by coming to worship with your church family. Even on the days when you don't want to. There's no better place that you should be in the midst of the storm than in the safety of God's people worshiping Christ with you. Otherwise, you will drown on your own. You believe that, that, that this is what God has done for me, that this is a part of God's perfect plan to rescue me. He has put God's people around me to worship the Lord, to extol him, even when I can't. Because that's the beauty. Like sometimes we, I think we miss this in, in our worship. Like we come and our worship is vertical, right? We say that every Sunday, right? We are a vertical church. We come here to worship the Lord. That's, what, that's why we're here. And it, and it just is like an added benefit that we get to do it with people that we love, right? We get to come and be a, a body of God's, uh, or people, uh, uh, God's people worshiping together. I'll try to spit it out here in a second. And as important as the vertical aspect is, it is our priority, but there is also a horizontal aspect. As we see in the New Testament, like it says to let us sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Like, doesn't that sound like a little odd? Like how do we obey that command? Am I supposed to like, just like walk up to Eric in the middle of the day or something and start singing out how great thou art? I mean, maybe, maybe that would encourage his heart. Probably, if I sang it, probably not. I'd be like, brother, the Lord is great, your singing is not, you know? And, uh, um, but when we gather together to worship God's people, you know how that works out? It's because undoubtedly somebody else is sitting near you that doesn't have the voice to sing that morning and they need to hear you saying those truths and you're singing for them. And they are worshiping with and for you, putting to voice the words that you can't say. This is how we give control to Christ. This is how we say, God, your way is better. 
Your way is better, especially in the midst of the storm. You wanna have faith in the midst of the storms that are in your life? Well, you go with Jesus into them. He leads us into them. You give control to Jesus. And let's look at now his response to the disciples. We must get right with Jesus. We must get right with Jesus. Notice here in the glassy stillness, in the pin drop silence of the sea, I bet those disciples were shocked beyond all imagination. Jesus' questions, they resonate loud and penetrate deep, don't they? They resonate loud and penetrate deep. There's no escaping them. They, 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 these are the types of questions that move us from a wrong fear to a right fear. Look what he says to them. He's like, he's like why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? In other words, he's like, I'm right here. I'm the one who led you into it, and I'm the one who's sleeping. You follow me, you are my disciples. You're to be imitating me. Maybe y'all should be sleeping here too. But it's this faith, these questions that move us from the wrong fear and right fear. Look at their response, verse 41. Jesus calls them out, and then he says they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who, is, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. It's another one of those like understatements, right? Great windstorm, great calm, great fear. You know, it's like understatements of the entire Bible. Hurricane force winds, glassy stillness, and now a great fear. And what's interesting, there's two different words here. Two different words. He asks them, why are you so afraid? And then it's like, but then they have great fear. Like, did they just get more afraid? No, 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 it's two different things. Two different things. The first is that cowardly, uh, craven fear. You know, the kind that we have, that, the, the, really the kind of irrational fear because we don't understand, like, of spiders and snakes and all that stuff. It's like, you know. It's that type of fear. He's saying, why are you so afraid of this? But then this other fear is the reverent awe that we have for God alone. I mean, we experience it a little bit here. And it's, a, it's this type of reverent awe that we, that we uh, of, of like the law of why we wear our seatbelts or why we drive the speed limit, right? Because we we're, we're afraid, like the law has authority over us. And so it gives us some self-control so we don't just drive like maniacs out there. It's the same type of, of, of fear, that reverent awe that we have of fire, that we don't just like jump right into it and we, we keep our distance from it. It's that kind of reverent awe because they understand, because they recognize its authority, its power to harm them, its power over their life. Now that they've seen this, they've moved from a wrong fear to a right fear, the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom right? The fear of the Lord. They understand just who this man is. And it's that faith, it's that understanding then that moves us from the wrong to the right. It's the faith that makes us answer the question seriously and soberly, who then is this man? It's like the whole question of our series. It's found right here. They've just seen what Jesus can do, and now they're like, whoa, they have seen his full humanity on display and now his full power in his deity on display. And so they ask this question and it's a get right with Jesus question. It's a get right with Jesus question of am I saved? What is my relationship to this man? You know, as we think of our own life, as we see uh, this man has power over the sea, over the wind, over the entire universe, what is my relationship to this man? The one who controls this force surely controls my life. 
Am I going with him or am I going my own way? Am I right with him or am I wrong with him? Does he have control of my life or am I still futilely trying to control my life? Beloved, this is a gospel question. This is a question of where do I stand with Christ? Where do I stand with him? Have I repented of my sin? Have I stopped trying to do things my own way and cast myself in faith upon him? No longer living in wrong fear, running away, trying to isolate myself or trying to to control things and rather faithfully following the Lord. To get right with Jesus question. Are you right with him today? Are you right with him today? In the midst of the storm, you're just rebuking him and wondering, like, Jesus, where are you? Why, why am my life any better than this? Or are you right with him? For the believer, it's not really that much different, is it? For the believer, this is something that is, is going on throughout our life. As believers, these storms just go away. As for those that have been following Christ, has your life been a storm-free life since the day you started following Christ? No, we don't have that promise in the scriptures. The promise that, that uh, the storm-free life is not promised uh, to us, only his presence in and through it. And this is where uh, having a strongly developed storm theology is so important. Because when we are in the boat like this, we need these anchors that we can just drop, these weighty truths of the scripture, these robust doctrines of the faith that in the midst of storm, as we are in the boat, we just let these anchors fly and they keep us steady and still as the storm rages around us. Do you have a storm theology, beloved? Do you have these these doctrines that we love, that we say, that we embrace? I hope you do. I hope you do. I have some here for you today. This isn't uh, exhaustive, but I have 10 anchors for you for some storm theology. You can attempt to write them down or you can wait till the screens full up and then you can take a picture of it, all right? Here's some storm theology for you. You need to have settled those core convictions on your boat right now so when the storm comes, you can just let these anchors drop. These can be, these are anchors for everyday life. Here's, here's the first point. God is sovereignly directing my life as I yield to him. Settle that in your mind right now, that God is sovereign over all things in your life. God is sovereign, but not only is he sovereign, God is, number two, good and faithful in all he does. Get that settled right now. This is all over the pages of scripture. God is not mean, he's not vindictive. He is not a guy who says one thing and does the other. God is always good and always faithful and especially true in the midst of your trials, in the midst of storms. Number three, Jesus is my Lord and master. And as such, I must obey him. I must submit to him. Jesus is not just some genie in a bottle but he is my Lord and my master. Here's another anchor for you. Jesus sees the way ahead when I am blind to it. See, we get in the midst of the storm and and the rain is pouring down around us and we can't see but a foot ahead of us. We extend our hand and we can't even see our fingers because the rain is so heavy, but beloved, Jesus sees the way ahead. And as you follow him, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. 
Sometimes we can't see him, and sometimes we know he's just right there, and so we just have to like grab onto his waistband and let him pull us through it. But Jesus knows, he sees the way ahead. Another point is the Holy Spirit is my helper and my friend who lives in me. The Holy Spirit is my helper, my friend who lives in me. Beloved, don't miss the importance of this. That if you are a Christian today, God's Spirit indwells you, and leads you, comforts you, convicts you as you walk in Him. You want another point here? Here's some more storm theology. The Bible is true and is my guide. God's word is true. It's a shield around us, Proverbs 30 says. It's true. You can believe it. You can put it to the test. You can bank on it. Here's some other great doctrines. Number seven, I was chosen by God before creation. I was chosen by God before creation. This is one of those deep, weighty truths. Some people get all bent out of shape over like election and thinking through these things. Man, this, this is one of the most comforting doctrines that, in the entire scriptures. That God has chosen his beloved, his people, before we did anything, before we had any sort of good looks or great skills. He chose us in him in love. And he is leading us through it. Number eight, I will persevere to the end by God's grace. The same love that chose you is the same love that will carry you all the way through life until the end. You will persevere by God's grace. That is the confident assurance that we have for tomorrow. That's why we don't give up. That's why we don't back down. But we will persevere to the end by God's grace. Number nine, fear does not control me because faith has been given to me. We cannot live fear-based lives. Did you you know this? Like media outlets, they monetize fear and tragedy. The reason why news channels exist and all these things, why they are around is because they have found a way to keep us captivated in our fear of the worst possible things happening. This is happening all the time. That's how they make money. But fear doesn't control us, does it? Perfect love casts out fear, actually. And we've been shown a perfect love in Christ Jesus. Faith has been given to us. As we walk in faith, there's no room for fear. We cast it out. And here's a final one. I have a blessed hope of better days yet ahead. Even if, there is, uh, it, even if it is a terminal diagnosis, If you are in Christ today, you need some storm theology that you have a blessed hope of better days yet ahead, even if it isn't on this earth. And that's what keeps us going. Beloved, these are are the truths that keep us anchored in the midst of storms. It is these things that is, is how we answer like, who then is this? This is who our God is. This is who our God is and this is how we stand in light of who he is. These are how we get right with the Lord. You, you discard one of these truths and your boat will eventually sink. You cast away these anchors and, and the storm will beat and batter you. But beloved, the doctrines of God's sovereignty, of his goodness, of his faithfulness, of our perseverance, these are all anchors that keep us through all kinds of storms. That's how we answer this question, who then is this?
Who then is this? This is Christ, the sovereign one over all the universe. He is the storm stopper. He is the one who cares for his people. He's the sovereign one of the universe. Beloved, we, we, we must reckon with these things. We must answer these types of, of, of questions to, to put it into to play in our life. And so uh, what, what I want us to actually do today as we, as, as, as we uh, respond to the word is I want us to just take some time to, to, to really answer this question before the Lord. I want us to actually like put into practice what, what Psalm 107 taught us is to come and extol the Lord in the assembly. And so what we're gonna do here now to, uh, to respond and to close our worship today is we're gonna sing a song that we've grown to love, a song called This We Know. And as we do, it's one.